Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. On the show today, I've got Jackie Yaney. She's the CMO at Tableau and is responsible for what she calls empowering and educating people about the power of seeing and understanding their data. Jackie has more than 20 years of experience as a marketer, and she started her career as an officer in the Air Force, which we talk a little bit about, spent some several years as a management consultant at Boston Consulting Group, and since then, she has worked for brands like Delta Airlines, Red Hat, and now Tableau, which is a part of the Salesforce company. On the show today, we talk about how she ended up at Tableau, what Tableau's up to and how they go to market, as well as what she thinks marketers should be focused on right now. We also highlight the fact that she's also a board of director or a director for a board of directors uh, for two different companies, uh, which is a unique position for marketers to have in this environment. And it's a, a new trend, if you will, among CMOs, getting board positions and trying to figure out how to. So we talk a little bit about misconceptions and the responsibilities of being on a board of directors. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jackie Yaney. Well, Jackie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. I'm thrilled to be here with you today. 
I'm excited to get to talk to you all about a whole bunch of topics. But uh, you mentioned when we were doing the warm up that you've started a new business recently on a side hustle, if you will. <laughs> Tell me about that. And and it's got a unique twist that I had never considered before. Yeah, so uh, this all happened in the middle of the pandemic. But uh, so unfortunately, this we've known for several years now, but my uh, husband is unfortunately losing his eyesight and going blind. He's very into fitness and we have spent a lot of time together in these past 18 months. And we started doing some virtual workouts with friends and uh, people are like, you should start a business. And so as a family, we started Blind Ambition Fitness and my husband and two of my children are coaches and we do a bunch of circuit training. And I was telling you that I was very humbled by uh, creating the the brand and the logo and the and the website all by myself. <laughs> so it's ba uh, fit.com if anybody wants to make fun of me. <laughs> ba fit.com. I'll have to check that out. I, and how? I mean, I, I have a lot of questions, but one in particular is for people that are seeing impaired or going blind, like. How do you give instruction, if that makes sense, in a virtual environment? It's a struggle, but uh, you know, we practice. He, pra I would joined him for a lot of the first ones that he uh, set up, and so he knows where all the buttons are, and he's clear to tell people he can't actually really see them, and then he he uh, verbally goes through the the circuit, and it's strange. Like he knows enough that he and he does the workout himself with the people. And so he knows that this is probably the time nobody's holding in their abs <laughs> or this is when you're starting to get tired. So hang in there. So lots of people have said, I don't know how you know to tell me <laughs> a correction when you can't see me, but somehow you do. That's a sign of a really good coach actually. Uh, Cause you know, if you, I guess if you know body mechanics and you're doing it yourself, you know what people's normal mistakes are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When he tells me to pull my butt in, I'm like, you cannot see my butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that. Well, testing your testing your skills uh even though you're you're a CMO and a, a bona fide executive, uh that's no joke either. So can, kudos on, on getting that launched. <laughs> yeah, humbling again was the <laughs> Well, tell me when you're not doing a you know side hustle website gig, what's your journey, your career journey been like? And and you're now the CMO at Tableau. So kind of where'd you get your start and how to end up at Tableau? So it's been an odd, fun journey over, over the years. I actually started as an engineer. So I have an electrical engineering degree. I did um, ROTC in college with the Air Force. My dad's career was in the Air Force. So that's how that idea came to be. So my first job was an officer in the Air Force. I'm definitely dating myself, but it was I started my first day on active duty was the first day of Desert Storm. So it was uh, crazy, but I learned a ton <laughs> in a very short period of time. Uh, never planned to stay in the Air Force. Thought I was gonna get my PhD at MIT, but the colonel I worked for convinced me that I was far more gifted with orchestrating, you know, kind of complex activities and maybe I should look at their business school. So I went to Sloan, which was a very, uh, very wise, uh, wise advice. So listen to those mentors and people, people you respect, I say. And then I went to the Boston Consulting Group for several years. And I was kind of a 
Bonafide geek there, did a lot of IT architecture work, was consulting to Delta Airlines when 9-11 happened. And the the CFO there asked me to join and help because uh, things were in disarray and felt like the right thing to do. I said yes. And then after that, she said, fantastic. I want you to run marketing. <laughs> so I thought she'd lost her mind. <laughs> I don't even think I took a marketing course at Sloan. I thought it was all all fluff, to be honest. But I got in there and I absolutely fell in love. I fell in love with obsessing about the customer and the traveler's experience and realized that if I as marketing wasn't taking that broad look and approach, like everybody else was in their little silos trying to make it better, revitalize the brand, this wonderful intersection of creativity and analytics. And so I've basically been doing that ever since. Um, I did, I am a technologist at heart still, so I found my way to be CMO at enterprise software companies. So that's what I've been doing for several years. Yeah. And then the call came about Tableau. (laughs) So I was in DC at the time and uh, back to my husband and his eyesight, he and I had felt like we just kind of set up a whole new normal. We were feeling a lot more comfortable about how I was working and where we were living and what he had access to and, and such. And I basically had to beg him, like, let me talk to Tableau, please. He's like, I don't want to move to Seattle. I'm like, just let me talk to them. (laughs) And it was was like, if I don't, I don't know if other people do this, but like, I had a list of like software companies I would want to work for. Tableau is at the top for me. I'd used it for many years. I was uh, enamored with how easy it was to use, how they obsessed about the user, the brand that they built, the passion of the community just felt like a a wonderful match for me. And yeah, sure enough, once I met the people, I was hooked, convinced the blind husband to come out to the West Coast with me and uh, found my home here. Tell us a little bit more about Tableau. I mean, I guess if you're in marketing and you've been living under a rock, maybe you haven't heard the name Tableau. But for those that are living under a rock, how do you describe what Tableau does and and where you guys are focused today? One of the other things I love about Tableau is that the mission is very clear and powerful and simple. So we are on a mission to help everyone to be able to see and understand data as clear as that is really easy to use. There's a lot of drag and drop. You can get your data from anywhere. It allows you to ask more and more questions and explore your data rather than just staring at reports. And it really has you focus on what you're trying to figure out versus trying to learn a software tool. I had a compliment recently that made me feel really good. One of our customers said, you know, Tableau is one of the only business software tools that actually does what you say it does. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) So that's nice. Definitely a lot of vaporware out in the world. That's for sure. Yes. And a lot of promises and I mean, the power for companies really comes in when uh, you know all of the employees are using Tableau. So we've been working a lot on that rather than just having little little pockets. And then for people out there that really don't know what I'm talking about and don't want to see the power of what Tableau can do, I think the best place to look is Tableau Public, which is public.tableau.com. And it's a free version of the exact same software and anybody can create what we call vises, kind of visualizations of the data. And the only catch is that you have to post it there and anybody can see it. I'm going to have to check that out too. I don't know if I've ever been there. I've played with Tableau's uh, many different companies, but I don't think I've ever done it to the public site. I love your mission, see and understand data. 
data seems to be kind of everywhere in today's organizations and many companies I know struggle with it. We've talked about it on the show with other executives that have come on. As you think about it and, and as you're trying to market to busy executives and organizations, like what are some of their fears about data and how to build, if you will, a data-driven culture in their organization? And I think companies for a while now have had this notion of wanting to be more data-driven. And if they weren't on that journey, the pandemic has sent them there. <laughs> but yes, they often get scared and nervous and stuck on how to move forward. I think there, there was a recent McKinsey study that said 92% of companies, you know, the executives are saying they're kind of failing on that notion of, of scaling data and analytics. And I think one of the fears, if you will, and struggles is that uh, whether you're a CIO or a chief data officer, they realize that the real issues start to come in, not with the technology or the tools like Tableau, but it much more centers on organizational behavior and culture and data literacy and, and skills. And so trying to train an entire organization to know what they're looking at, <laughs> uh, to not use data as a weapon, which I heard a customer say earlier today, actually. And then as you start to open up access to data across your organization, well, now security and governance really becomes top of mind. So who has access to what, the cleaning the data, prepping the data. And then another phrase I've been hearing a lot is data chaos. <laughs> so and more data sources, more people accessing it, the pipelines get messy, the volume. So they've got a lot more energy put on that side of their of their job. It's one thing uh, to your point to get people to use data to make decisions. And then another when when it is democratized, so to speak, like people can access it to do their own analysis. You have so many other challenges, <laughs> like you just described, like governance and training and proliferation of reports and analysis nuggets and <laughs> a lot to kind of mine through and, and police is the wrong word, but just harness, harness maybe is a better word. Yeah. I had one uh, customer, like she's been, she focuses on like certifying people and certifying data sources and certifying um, analyses because it was starting to fly around. <laughs> that was one of the tactics she used to kind of get it under control. Tableau, it wasn't until like, I think we got connected that I realized that Tableau is now a part of Salesforce. <laughs> like, when did the acquisition take place? Because uh, I'm a little fuzzy on the details. The acquisition got announced, I might not get this exactly right, but I think it was June 19. I, I, it was in the middle of when I was interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh my, maybe they don't want a CMO any longer. Uh, did not take the CEO of Tableau long to call me, maybe an hour. I remember, I remember it very distinctly because I was on vacation with my family <laughs> in Europe. And I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't going to play out like I hoped. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, Salesforce has paid an awful lot for this brand and this community. And we absolutely need an amazing CMO to help us grow and nurture that brand and that community. So I knew what I was getting into. And I also realized that Tableau was on this enterprise journey, meaning you know, for years, Tableau was primarily focused on just the individual who's doing analysis and now understanding that doing it across a company is where the power really is. But that's a journey, as you know, to be an enterprise software company. And I had spent six years on that journey with Red Hat, uh, the open source company, 
I mean, Salesforce is an enterprise software company, probably, you know, one of, if not the best. And I'm like, that will genuinely help us make that journey a lot faster than what I experienced at Red Hat. Make it a couple years versus versus six. So you're you're part of the Salesforce mothership. Um, but like how how do you maintain the tableau voice in the community? Like you said, this is one of the reasons they were acquiring the company to begin with. How do you maintain that? in spite of going through the acquisition process. So I'm not going to lie. It's been, it's been a hard 18 months, especially <laughs> well, yeah. trying to do it during a pandemic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's extra complicated in the sense that as we look at it, we're not really a branded house and we're not a house of brands. We're kind of somewhere in the, in the middle. And so what I did early on was make sure we had alignment across Salesforce with Mark Benioff and the executive team that Tableau was indeed the analytics brand for Salesforce. So that clear decision helped tremendously. And then to put that into reality or action, if you will. So Salesforce already had an analytics tool called Einstein Analytics. And so we actually rebranded that to be Tableau CRM because it operates inside the CRM system. I love that idea and, and giving the brand life inside the Salesforce ecosystem, if you will, makes a lot of sense to you. And then I feel like we have been uh, taking a phased approach. So it's only been very recently that we created the, you know, Tableau, a Salesforce company logo in positioning, it's literally only two months old, I think. So that we did that, you know, more than a year later. And then I was having some issues of kind of all the Tableau look and feel and the Salesforce look and feel. So we've created whole, all new kind of branded templates of how to interact with your customers where it feels much more like like one overall company, but with the quirky, quirky brand. The other thing I did, my husband thought I was a little crazy, but we are a quirky brand, which I love. And it gives us a lot of space to have fun and to kind of show that we could still be Tableau within Salesforce. like. I created probably the quirkiest ad I've ever created. <laughs> like, he's like, you let that fly. I'm like, well, yes, I'm just trying to show we could still be Tableau and, and make fun of ourselves. So that's funny how little things, you know, what was the gist of the ad itself? The gist is like, it's a fishing company in Seattle and they're using data, you know, to make their, to make their decisions about how to fish and where to fish and to be a more sustainable fishing company, <laughs> but the characters in it are kind of over the top, if that makes uh, sense. Oh, okay, yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They're all hands-on data. Like, that's what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It, kind of geeking out a little bit. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Gotcha. You know, you talk about, you go, I think when we last spoke, and you just mentioned, you've got kind of like these two go-to-market ways. You've got Tableau by itself. And then I think you've got Tableau, a Salesforce company. How does that work? If that makes sense? Like, um, do you use one for one thing and one and the other for another? Sort of. <laughs> it does. Uh, if you talk to my team, they would say I'm, I'm doubling their workload. <laughs> and there's differing opinions. But the, the end truth is that in order for us to achieve that vision of all people and organizations being able to see and understand their data and be more data-driven, and frankly, to grow at the rate that we want and expect, we have to be relevant to Salesforce customers 
looking to implement, you know, the full customer 360 that they, you know, as a total solution. And we have to be relevant to companies, departments, individuals who are not really part of that Salesforce ecosystem. And on, on its own, you know, Tableau is a very horizontal product kind of, you know, you can use it in almost any situation you and I can dream up, whether it's business or personal, or even, you know, we've been using it with the uh, Olympics recently and, I created a COVID data hub. I've created a racial equity data hub, these sorts of things. But as part of Salesforce, it really helps companies accelerate their digital transformation by having data and analysis kind of in the flow of what they're doing with their CRM. But yes, I, we, I do have to constantly, actually, just on my marketing all hands was reminding my team that we do have these two different go-to-market motions. Be careful about completely overlapping them. Remind yourself who you're talking to and why so that you can kind of keep that story relevant and, and pure. When you start, when we start to overlap it too much, it, it becomes muddled too many messages. Well, it makes sense. And, and Salesforce being kind of an enterprise level software already, people, I, I mean, I know companies that run on Salesforce, like, like which you can, you know, with all of the, the integrations and things that exist uh, to, to tie everything together. But then there are companies that don't, right? That, that have other systems cobbled together in other ways. But yet they could still be a Tableau customer. That's right. And we don't want the market to forget, if you will, that Tableau, like it does not just, it's not, you don't just have to pull in Salesforce data. You can pull in data from anything, any of those systems. I know one of the things that's near and dear to you is building trust and relevancy with your audience. And how does that factor into what you're trying to do and the marketing that you're doing today? Pandemic or not, I would say. So I've had this belief for a long time. I think, I think it's just amplified right now. But we now live in a world where you know, it's still people making buying decisions, even when it's enterprise software. And people are having an increasingly difficult time making those purchase decisions based on a list of features. It all starts to sound and look very similar. So the, the choices they make become, I don't know what percent, but I think a pretty high percent based on emotions and, and that trust and relevancy. So what that means for me as a CMO is that Tableau needs to stand for something bigger. and the way we take that forward is we are doing everything we can to stand for driving data cultures, Tableau product or not, and to actually get all the insight we can from what we know and what we know inside customers of what is needed to drive those data cultures. And I'll give you one specific example because I feel like it doesn't, doesn't feel real. But um, a couple months ago, we launched something called a data leadership collaborative. And it is meant to foster and nurture a community of data leaders so that they can share their best practices with each other. And I say it's sponsored by Tableau, but the conversation is not about Tableau. And many of the people involved use other tools. But and I feel like say, I want to I want to prove to you that I'm not just trying to sell you my product because I believe it comes back around. I 100% agree. And it's odd. Well, it's funny, not odd, but funny that you say that because I had a longstanding relationship. I'll get to the point, I promise. Just give me a second. But I had a longstanding relationship and, and had done a bunch of work with a group called the CMO Club, helped run their research programs. It was 
close with the founder, Pete, and had helped support their efforts to recruit members, even though I wasn't, a, I wasn't, wasn't a CMO over many years, probably, I, I think 10 now, um, maybe 11 since he, he got started in earnest. And, um, funny enough, so he had built this huge community, probably a thousand marketers or so beginning to go all the way around the world, not completely all the way there. And who comes knocking on the door to buy the CMO club? Salesforce. <laughs> And it was funny because at the first at the first time he told me, I was like, really? Like, they're not going to turn this into like a sales machine. And he's like, no, 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 no. They want the community and they want to foster the community for what it is, a community that is about peer sharing and you know, getting best practices from each other, has nothing to do with software, has nothing, necessarily nothing to do with software. It's just about fostering a good community. And it's funny to me that you're doing the same thing in the data sphere and it you're all connected right it's all it's salesforce it's tableau it's community building and it's for the effort of the community it's one of my favorite things about salesforce actually is because uh, they've had this belief for a very long time and it starts with mark benioff and he's genuinely trying to make the world a better place and so yeah i think they've done they've done that with the cmo club as far as i can tell and they do it with their trailblazer community and I think it's the reason I get the support from them on still nurturing the Tableau community as a community. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're doing some pretty interesting stuff in a, a very difficult time that we're all going through in this world. Um, hopefully, hopefully we're seeing the beginning of the end. Yeah, we can, we can hope and pray. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to tell some days. But beyond serving as a CMO, you're also on the board of directors for two, two different companies. I think it's Talkspace and Avaya. Well, one, I should say congrats, because not a lot of CMOs have made it to the boardroom, if you will. So congrats on that. And a lot of CMOs that I talk to, there's a lot of interest in terms of interest and intrigue in terms of what a board position looks like. And I'm probably in future episodes going to have a few other board members come and talk about their experiences. But I'm I'm curious, do you feel like the door is open or opening for marketers to join board of directors? And, and then maybe what are some of the biggest misconceptions about being on a board? I do think that companies and boards are turning that corner and understanding the power of the CMO seat and how CMOs can help drive growth of that business through that board seat. But, you know, the hardest board position to get is the very first one. <laughs> it's not, not only is it, you know, CMO has not been in the in their headlights, uh, but 
uh, they also always want experience. So they have a, they have a hard time saying, you know, we want to be your first, your first board. But if I could give one major piece of advice on that, or maybe two, but one is to really think about what your core kind of two or three competencies could be that you could center on to play a role on a board and don't make them sound too marketing like. <laughs> so they don't really want to hear brand. They don't really want to hear demand gen or even customer experience. So for me, it was, you know, I know how to help companies through the cloud transition. I know how to help scale a business. I know how to, that enterprise journey that we were talking about. I understand that. So I kind of kept those top of mind and that seemed to work for me. And then once I get in there, then I can more use my true marketing superpowers, if you will. And the other thing I would say, it is very, very network and relationship oriented. So connecting with people that are already on boards, tell them you're interested, tell them these two or three points, but don't make it too complicated so that you can get in top of mind of people that are kind of in those, in those spheres. But it's, uh, I'll get to the misconceptions in a second, but for me, Personally, I really love it. I mean, I've been a CMO for a long time now, and a lot of the struggles, you know, can feel feel the same along the way. And this is such a fabulous way to to learn a ton really quickly, and to meet uh, all kinds of new people that I would have never had a chance to intersect with. So I'm finding it very rewarding in that regard. Uh, now, misconceptions. <laughs> it is a lot harder and takes a lot more time than. I think most people have in their minds like it, like, right? Cause everybody has this, like it's the end of career settling down, not so hard, couple meetings a year, no big deal, but it is a lot of responsibility. And over the past several years, the SEC has made sure of that. So there's a lot of aspects to, um, to pay attention to and on talk space is relatively new for me. They just went public. Uh, recently. And so it's the first time I'm the chair, I'm the chair of a committee and I'm like, ah. so, <laughs> so I've been making a lot of calls to people that I know, you know, chaired committees and, and this specific committee. I'm anyway, I'm, what I need to make sure I know, I know to do. And um, it can be very, I call it spiky in the sense, like, um, you know, you're suddenly trying to decide if you should be acquiring another company or taking an entirely new strategic direction. And so then suddenly you can be, it can be intense for a period of time. And the other thing I've realized is like, you can't miss any meetings. You just can't because then you're behind, you're behind because you are not in the day to day and remembering that we're not there to manage the company. Right. <laughs> so trying to be, you're taking your duties on, but, and then being helpful without being a burden is something I try to keep top of mind. I mean, I, I'm thinking uh, like all of the CMO friends I have are flashing through my head and, and I love them all dearly, but it's like some of them, I think the, that notion of governance versus management might be hard, actually. It is. It is. Yeah. And I've got some marketing ideas in my head already for Talkspace, but I'm, I'm <laughs> holding my tongue a little bit. <laughs> right. I guess in the, in, the, in the board space, I mean, you can be a, a coach or a resource I'm sure to the CMO of those companies that you're working with, but yeah, it's a, it's a line that you can't really cross. Exactly. But no, those are good words, like a coach and a resource uh, that's available to them. Not because you have to, anything you say as a board director, like you have to be careful because people are going to go 
it doesn't sound, if you're not careful, it doesn't sound like advice. It sounds like a directive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, it's very mysterious from people that don't go to the boardroom, you know, every quarter. And it, it does sound like a lot of, a lot of work. And I guess more, I would say a lot of responsibility because I have seen board decks that go in advance of those meetings. And I mean, they're novels. They're many times. Oh yeah, I have to set up. I always warn my husband. I'm like, <laughs> I need several hours to review the Avaya board materials. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no joke in those. It's like reading, you know, two annual reports every meeting. Yeah. And you, you do have to read them ahead of time because there's just not enough time not to, you know, because you need the real discussion in the meeting. Now, thank goodness um, we can do it all, you know, on these online portals now, because my very first board, which is a company called Promethean, like they would send me the giant packs, (laughs) (laughs) show up at the front doorstep. (laughs) That's crazy. Well, yeah, it probably does make it a little easier. Well, a little easier that you're probably all remote now as well, versus having to travel to different places for the board meetings. Yeah, and I have a feeling that they'll go like half and half or something. It makes sense. The only thing I, I do, I, I worry about people that are on boards. Maybe that makes it too convenient to have an off-cycle meeting, <laughs> but hopefully not. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we're you know, mergers coming up. We need the board to get together. We'll just fire up Zoom or whatever. Yeah. Except no, that's already happening. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway, I, I want to I thank you for giving us a little insight into the board space and, and what your experience has been. I always like to ask a series of questions to everyone that comes on the show. And, and my favorite question to ask is, you know, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yes, I think I think for me, it has to be my time in the Air Force. It was a lot that was hard. <laughs> and I learned so many, I learned so many leadership skills and I learned, and I kind of realized this after when I got into corporate America, that it wasn't automatic for other people, but leading by influence and through mission, not that you directly report to me because I was in charge of a, of a mission critical real time Intel system that was in the battlefield. There was not one person that reported to me. It was all through different groups and different and some technology vendors and 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 support and intel people and so i that's how i that's how i learned leadership and then then you you get into these organizations and people like well i don't feel like i'm advancing because only two people report to me (laughs) (laughs) i'm like that's not leadership it's (laughs) and i've i have forever been mission-based so i have to fundamentally believe in the mission of an organization. And there's just so much power in being able to move forward and figure things out if you've got that alignment on what you're trying to get done and why. It's an accelerator, both for the culture of an organization, if you have a strong mission, um, as well as the performance of the organization. So, And then it's maybe stating the obvious, but there weren't exactly many women officers running around. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I was going to ask, uh, I, you know, how, what was your experience like as an officer? You can't see me, but I'm only five feet tall. At the time, I was about 100, 100 pounds, not 100 pounds any, any longer. And, you know, you know those, um, the boot camp obstacle courses that you see in the movies? Well, those aren't designed for five feet tall people. No. <laughs> The ropes might not even go down. No, it's funny. Yes, now yeah. I had some literal like grab her by you know the, her belt loop and throw her over, and I didn't, um, <laughs> I didn't, didn't like that so much. And at my 
at my boot camp, there was 350 cadets and four women, and two of us made it and two of us did not. The other one that made it, and we kind of obviously pulled each other through, but she went on to be a colonel, which I thought was amazing. And, and we both look at each other and say we wouldn't have, wouldn't have made it uh, without the other person. And then I, I got really, really lucky, and I have thanked him many times over since because I think it only dawned on me years later, but the colonel I worked for treated me like everyone else. So I didn't feel the difference on a, on a day-to-day basis while I was doing my job. I do have one really quick story um, that sticks in my head, life altering sort of. So I ended up, I was pregnant with my first child while I was in the Air Force. And I I looked like a Smurf because the the uniform was just this big blue. It was horrible. It was horrible. And I was several months pregnant. And what can happen sometimes you can't get your breath very well. So I'm down, again, it's an Intel system. So I'm in a secure facility underground. I'm working to make my system uh, maintainable, kind of the, the war has ended, but now we need to use the system going forward. I'm presenting to a three-star general. I don't get a sentence or two out of my mouth. And the three-star starts swearing, stands up and <laughs> not kind words. And the basic message is, why is this really a mission important, expensive, mission critical system You know, in the hands of this little girl, little pregnant girl? My my colonel stood up and said, sir, she's the best first lieutenant I've ever seen. Your system's in good hands. Let her continue. And I realized later that it would have been far easier for that colonel to do something else. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? That shows true leadership and trust and, and uh, wow, a, a lot of faith they put into you as well. Yeah. And, and my confidence, you know, goes goes way up and probably stayed there. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? I kind of think of it in uh, maybe two, like one when I was like younger, like let's say 20 or so, and then another maybe when I was 30. So I would tell my 20 year old self, Jackie, this mental model you have, like I had this, this thing in my head that I wasn't that smart. So fine, you all can be smarter than me, but you can't outwork me. That's how I was operating every day. <laughs> And it's not sustainable. So I tell myself, Jackie, that is not a sustainable model. You are smart. (laughs) So please turn that on its head. And you're working very hard to have it all. And you can, you absolutely can have it all, but you can't have it at the same time. And you can't have it as an individual. You can have it as whatever you end up defining as your family unit. Uh, So I wish I'd kind of figured those two things out far earlier. Uh, So I try to my kids hear, hear that a lot. And then when I was 40, so that's why I wish I had done it when I was 30. So when I was 40, I created a what success means to me list, kind of what it would feel like, what I'd be able to do, not kind of title related. And I so wish I could tell myself to do that at 30 um, because it, I, there was a lot of difficult life and career decisions we were trying to make along the way. And if I'd had that as my, a guidepost, it would have been so much easier. So the list I created at 40 was in 2008. I held on to it until the middle of the pandemic, actually. And it so helped my husband and I when we were making decisions like this red hat job is too much. We don't have the eyesight thing figured out. We are well on our way on the success list as we define it. We can do it without that job. So we need to fundamentally change what we're doing. And it wasn't that hard. I hear you on wanting, so I have not yet created that list, but I need to, and I'm in my 
in my 40s. But I don't know if the 30-year version of myself would even have thought about doing that. Like, you know, I mean, you know what I mean, right? Like you're in your like prime, you're driving, you're, you're on the upward trajectory and yeah, do you make it make, yeah. Climbing that ladder. Yeah. yeah that's really all it's about <laughs> in your thirties. I think um, I, just, I want it to not be that for people. I get very sad when I watch all these people around me and that's especially during this pandemic. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, you're right. My, my oldest son is 28 and me asking him to do this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah good luck mom yeah. yeah maybe if i sit down with a beer with him or something <laughs> there you go there you go <laughs> what topic do you think marketers should be learning more about or, or are you learning more about trying to learn more about i have two in my head one that that i strongly believe in the other i'm trying to learn more about myself so the first one is i genuinely wish more marketing leaders would start with why their company's mission and purpose and make sure that's clear. Why do they exist? What would the world lose if your brand suddenly disappeared? Because if you center on that, then everything else can start to fall into place. If you just start running with campaigns and tactics and demand gen, um, and even a brand strategy without it, you get lost and you may not create that sustainable business. I've had it in my head for a long time that marketing leader's job is 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 twofold. One is the short term, right? Helping to drive the business today. But the other is the long-term health of the company. And there is no other function inside a company that's doing that. And if you don't do it, nobody else will. So that's the first one. The second one that um, I am struggling with, and I can't even tell you how many things I've been listening to and things I've been reading and people I've been calling, but is mental health mental health of our teams, mental health of your audiences, because we actually don't have anything if we don't have a healthy, engaged team. And a lot of people are having a hard time with that right now. So figuring out ways to help us to be more, more resilient in this time. And then on the audience part, I mean, everyone's exhausted. <laughs> so if your messages out on the market are not built from a place of empathy, you can just expect it to be flat and not heard. I don't care what market category you're in. I 100% agree. I think I think that's really smart advice. And I hadn't thought about, I mean, I, I guess inside companies, you always think about, well, the mental health of my employees, but maybe, you know, applying that to mental state of the audiences, like, like you're saying, yeah, like your you can't, buyers, just, you can't stakeholders. just speak at them. Yeah. Like they, like we used to, it's just, yeah, everybody's tired. Really good advice. Well, I have two more questions for you. One is, you know, as a marketer, as a person, a human being walking around this earth, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? I will say it's a little hard to be inspired by, by many brands lately, but I'll, I'll give you a few that, that pop in my mind and, and maybe why they, why they, why I do pay attention. So one is Peloton because, you know, they center on that customer experience. Uh, they center on the community of the, the folks that use Peloton. So I, I find that extremely powerful and they, they, and a lot of, and all the personalities, right. Of the, and the connection points. Another one, I don't know if people know this brand very well, but Stitch Fix. Have you heard of Stitch Fix? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My wife uses yeah, Stitch Fix. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I use it and my daughter uses it. 
but so I've been a customer of theirs uh, since close to the beginning, and it's been amazing to watch them how they've used AI to get smarter and smarter about what works for you and what fits and connecting you with stylists. And now, like, I have no question now that what shows up is something I'm going to love. And yeah, so their data, so I'm enamored with their data analytics and how they, <laughs> and how they've used that to really move up the customer experience. I've been impressed with LinkedIn for a long time. I think they stay on top of that relevancy and value. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we all just used to go there when we're looking for a job. And now it is kind of the business to business uh, engagement interaction. Like it's how I stay connected with my entire network now. And then finally, just uh, Airbnb, uh, primarily because they, uh, and I need to do a better job of this with Tableau, honestly, but they let the customers tell their story. And I think there's a lot of power in that. Those are great examples. And I hadn't thought about Stitch Fix and the personalization or the like knowledge capture that they that they get from their customers and how that improves their recommendations, et cetera obviously big user of LinkedIn for many reasons you just, you just talked about, but yeah, those are all great, great brands. Well, last question for you. What do you feel like is the either largest opportunity or the biggest threat that face marketers today? You end with a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to keep you guessing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, to the yeah. Yeah. I think I would say agility is kind of the name of the game for marketers and one of the things I realized, I said I've been a CMO for a long time and a lot of things you know, feel the same, but actually in this world now, I feel like a lot of what got you here as a successful marketer isn't going to get you there. And having more of that beginner's mindset, you know, I think you can create a vision, you can create goals, you can create intent, but I think you've got to be ready to, to change your plans almost on a dime and trying new things, iterating shifting your resources quickly. You remember when the pandemic got started, I, I had this whole data culture message, ready to go, a big team. I took all the, I'm like, nobody wants to hear about data culture right now. <laughs> so I took that entire team and I put it on creating the COVID data hub. And people are like, that's not going to drive, you know, leads. Don't care. <laughs> Don't care. We we are going to, we are going to be helpful uh, to the world right now. And uh, we will figure out how to drive leads later. So I just feel like you, the, I, you know, I used to, as a CMO, right, I used to create my plans for the year and organize them and resource them and then march along and measure them. And I just think it's a, we just can't do it that way anymore. I think you're right with agility. And unfortunately, I feel like COVID was the, the, uh, a great catalyst for it, but it hasn't been the only thing that's happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it seems like every couple of months there's a new, a new thing that we need to adjust um, our businesses and environments to. I mean, I guess the the good news I, I feel like is um, you no longer win by how much money you spend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I I believe it has far more to be with being that data driven uh, organization, understanding your customer and the market better than anyone else, and putting putting your energies there and being targeted and personalized and relevant. And that's how you, that's how you win, not by throwing uh, messages loud and screaming them from the, from the rooftops. Very true. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've learned a ton and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I did so much fun, Alan. Thank you. Best part of my day. 
Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 